I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. This year is the 40th anniversary of the UK Championship, one of Snooker's longest-running and most prestigious events, been won by so many great names down the years. And there's no one better than the Snooker Scene editor, Clive Everton, to reminisce about some of the great matches, some of the great champions that this great tournament has produced. So the first UK Championship was 1977, and I guess at that point, because snooker was starting to become more popular, there was a need for new tournaments. And Mike Watterson, I guess the promoter, felt that he, he was the man to sort of start delivering different events. Yes, it got off to a rather uncertain start. Uh, Mike was mindful of the fact that um, the World Championships, or some of the World Championships uh, of the 40s and 50s had taken place at Blackpool Tower Circus, and he thought, and, and, and has attracted you know, big, big crowds day after day. So he thought, we'll go there. But of course, they, they went in the week before winter, <laughs> before before Christmas rather, in the, in, the, in, the, in the dead of winter. So attendances were quite poor for the first uh, UK Championship, which was won by by, by Patsy Fagan. But uh, for the second year, Mike obtained the sponsorship of Corals, who stayed with the event for quite a few seasons, actually. Uh, and that was won by Doug Mountjoy. Mm. Let's talk about Patsy Fagan, because he was... Um a very uh, sort of well-known player in the, in the London area, and, and he's he talked about sort of the money matches he played, and was very well regarded. But that was obviously his only real success, and and it was kind of sad in the end what happened to him, wasn't it? He, he developed a problem using the rest. Yeah, he just he, he just couldn't couldn't hit the ball. Mm. Um, it, it's the equivalent of dartitis, where the, the, the player can't let go of the arrow, uh, and it was it was really painful to watch him. Uh, Taking on all sorts of shots, so that he just didn't have to use the rest. He, he did get over it to some extent uh, eventually, but he, he was never as good as when he, he won the he, he won the UK and one or two other events around about that mm. time. He's in good shape now, actually. We see, see him quite often in tournaments, indeed uh, in the audience. Although there was one occasion where <laughs> on the BBC where Dennis Taylor identified 
Patsy Fagan and it wasn't him, it was someone else who looked, <laughs> looked nothing like him. But anyway, that's a, that, that's a side issue. Um, so Preston, obviously, I mean, that's the venue that it became associated with in the, in, the, in the 80s. Was there a feeling when you got to Preston that this is, yeah, this is a proper place for it? Absolutely. <clears throat> I, 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 think, I think Preston is, is, a great, is a very good venue for uh, a, a final or a semi-final with one table, but it's an even better venue in an eight table situation because you can walk around the top balcony and mm. look at look at lots of matches and I think it was also very good that the UK um, was specifically associated with Preston it, it helped give the, the event a, a sense of identity which it, it lost when it left Preston and tried one or two other venues before it ended up at the Barbican in York. Mm. It was good for Preston as well I think uh, you know it's it, it, I mean the Guildhall is different now. Um, a lot of the shops around it have shut down, and I know this is true of a lot of places in, in the north of England, but it gave the city an identity as well, or the town an identity. Um, so 1980, uh, Steve Davis, that was his big breakthrough. I mean, he, he was kind of, I guess, earmarked for success, but like, like we said before, you've actually got to do it. Yes. Uh, I think what was surprising was that he came through in such a dominant manner. He'd been knocking at the door and the people were thinking, well, yeah, you'll win something one day. Uh, they didn't all share the confidence of, of Barry Hearn and uh, the, the, uh, the Romford mob, as it, uh, as it was known. But when he did come through, he came through in really spectacular fashion. In the 1980 UK, he beat Terry Griffiths 9-0 in the semi-finals. And then he absolutely slaughtered Alex Higgins sixteen six in the final. Mm, pretty pretty dominant. And actually, you mentioned Terry there, because the year before he'd been in the final with John Virgo, um, who arrived late for one of the sessions because he it had changed the time and no he didn't he didn't know or no one had told him or he just misread it or. Well, it was the final session. Right. He, he he was eleven eight up overnight, uh, and um, the on the last day. They were playing the last session uh, at noon to, uh, because the BBC wanted to show it. Um, and uh, somehow or other, this, this passed John by completely. And he, he was still in the hotel when people mm. started to ring him and say, well, you're on in 10 minutes, where are you? Mm. <laughs> Doc two frames, but still, it, it, but still won. Doc two frames, but still won, yeah. yes. OK. Well... Those sort of early days, I mean, it's worth saying that in those early days, it wasn't a ranking event in the UK Championship. It was only open, I think, to UK and Irish players. It was a UK Championship. But I guess as it became big, it, it kind of made sense to make it into a ranking tournament. But it's, it's interesting, like Steve Davis, if those counted, would now be on over 30 ranking titles. Well, he would. Yeah. yeah um, I, 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 th I think that it became a ranking title when... Steve Davis threatened not to enter unless it was made mm -hmm. I I into a, a, a full ranking event, uh, and um, it, it was overdue. It did need to be. A, it did need to be a ranking event. And after all, restricting it to UK players um, was only keeping out one or two in those days. Mm. Cliff Thorburn got quite upset about this. Yeah, well, you, you, you can understand it. Um, 1983 was possibly, you could argue, the first sort of great UK. F Final that people now would would still talk about years later. Alex Higgins and Steve Davis, the great sort of rivalry, the great clash of personalities. Davis is seven nil up, and 
I'm sure there was an expectation that Steve would not lose from 7-0 up, but Alex came back and won in a decider. The background to that was quite interesting because uh, Higgins was in, in matrimonial difficulty. Uh, it looked as if his marriage was going to break up, but he didn't want it to. Uh, and things started to turn around um, halfway through the tournament, actually, when Lynn, his wife, uh, actually did turn up so that that sort of gave him a new lease of life in a way uh, but 7 nil down as you say was not the most not the most promising of starts <laughs> but uh, somehow or other it it, it, it it all changed round in the evening session which was the second of four and uh, um, uh, Higgins won I think it was seven out of eight in in uh, in, in that session and eventually uh, he, he, he fell behind again on the second day, but he ended up winning by the old frame. Mm. And it must have played a part in then that two years later, or 18 months later, when Davis lost to Dennis Taylor in the world final, because it's basically identical. Yeah, I, I think it shook Steve's sense of certainty. Mm. You think there is nobody in the world who can who can beat me if I'm 7-0 up. Mm. And... Higgins proved that someone could, uh, and I think that it sort of might have lodged like a piece of grit in the back of his mind when it came down to the 85 final in which um, he led Dennis Taylor 8-0. Mm. Probably Alex Higgins' best win over Davis. It's interesting though, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the rack pack, but there's no no mem- mention of that in, in that. You'd have thought that would have formed part of that story, but maybe they just wanted to concentrate on the on the World Championship, I don't know. I don't know. Um, We'll, we'll move on a couple of years. Again, Steve in the final. Again, um, well, this time, sorry, he's trailing Willie Thorne, 13-8. And this is, I don't know how many times Willie's reminded of this or people talk <laughs> about it, but he, he was had a blue that seemed unmissable and if he pots it, 14-8, he's going he's to win, isn't he? But he missed it and he didn't win. Well, Willie was playing pretty well at that time. You, you don't get 13 up, 13-8 up on Davis unless you are playing well. Mm. Um, but he he missed this blue in the first frame of the final session. Just needed, I think, pink in in, in addition to to go to go to, to go to fourteen eight, and he collapsed. Uh, Davis, great predator that he is, smelt blood, <laughs> and I, I think he was getting he was not exactly resigned to defeat starting the last session, but he, he would have recognised that it, it, it was very much a possibility. Mm. A likelihood, even, um, but uh, it all changed around completely when when Willie missed the blue and uh, Davis ended up winning sixteen fourteen. Willie only won one more frame. I think this is one of the reasons that snooker, you know, remains so popular. You don't get this in every sport where it can literally be one moment like that, just one moment, one miss that just completely turns everything and that seed of doubt in Willie's mind. I mean, he's still. He loses the frame. He's still thirteen nine. That's a good lead, but it's the circumstance, how it's happened, and he just obviously couldn't get out of his mind. Uh, yeah, he would have had the terrible thought. Wouldn't it be terrible if mm. uh, there was there was a, a similar incident a few years later in the semi final when when Steve was playing Gary Wilkinson. Mm. Um, what what happened was that in the penultimate frame. Um, Davis needed a snooker on the pink, but Wilkinson didn't think didn't think that he he did need a snooker. The 
pig was left on the ball, on the ball cushion and Wilkinson attempted a very nasty, ultra-thin safety, missed the pig altogether, whereas if he'd realised mm. that Steve still needed a snooker, he would simply have doubled it over the back down, back, back down the table. Mm. So, of course, Steve, great predator that he is, won that frame, won the decider and won the tournament. Yeah, and, it's, and holds the record still for most UK wins, six, uh, and he got to the final again in 2005, lost a ding. Um, still in the 80s, one of the great moments, I think, of the whole history of the tournament was Doug Mountjoy winning for the second time. He won in 78 when he was a top player. And by 1988, he was supposedly declining. He was 46. He was going down the rankings. And normally at that age, you just keep going. But he teamed up with Frank Callan, the coach, and he won the tournament, beat Stephen Hendry in the final. But more than that, played fantastically well. Well, Frank Callan, who was a great coach, the father of modern coaching, actually, uh, he remodelled Doug's game. Uh, Doug applied himself to the to the maximum. He he he, re he really he really put the put the work in, and um, he, his form was a complete transformation of what it had been the, the previous season. And um, I, I remember after he, he'd won the tournament, he paid tribute to, to, to Frank Callan and said, I'm nothing without that guy. Mm. And, and he did, I mean, he had three centuries in a row at one point, which is impressive now, but back then that was very unusual. Mm. Um, and also Hendry, okay, he was still a teenager, but he'd kind of been earmarked as, you know, the next big star and I guess was expected to, to win. So... Mm. An incredible achievement, and then of course he went and won the, the next event, the, the Mercantile Classic, as well. So no one could say, well, he couldn't say it anyway, but it certainly wasn't a sort of a lucky break. I mean, he was playing great stuff. Well, he he, he was full of confidence. Mm. The, the, the UK was was a very big deal for him. He was full of confidence, and he was able to maintain his status as a top player for a, for a couple of years before, of course. Uh, Eventually, age did catch up with him. Mm. Well, it didn't take Henry long to, <laughs> to start winning the tournament next year, in fact. Because he never played Steve Davis in a world final, um, but he played him in two UK finals. Beat him in 89, but the one people remember is 1990, because it went to a decider, and Henry showed his kind of metal under pressure, and I guess it was the passing of the torch. I mean, he was already world champion, but this was kind of confirming this is the new era now. Yes, uh, and the, the, what I remember about that match was that in the penultimate frame, Hendry needed blue, pink, and black to to equalise uh, at, at fifteen all, and he played a, an absolutely brilliant rest shot, screwing back, uh, and um, to this day remains one of the best rest shots I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah, and again, doing it under pressure. I mean, as you say, he's fifteen, fourteen down. You know, he misses it. He's, probably over but he, that didn't seem to bother him he just he, he thrived under that environment no he he, he he would say the shot is this and I'm, this is what I'm going to play mm. very much like a master chef when he decided what, what he was going to cook it didn't work out quite so well though did it in, in that, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over that I think it's worth saying a lot, a lot of, sort of new snooker fans or younger people might not appreciate quite what a big deal the Uka Championship was in terms of the format with the longer matches and a two day final in those days it was basically a mini world championship yes but the problem with the two day final was that if somebody got a very big lead it left you with little or no final session so that's why it was 
uh, trimmed down to, 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 to a one-day final. Mm. Jimmy White, as we know, never won the World Championship, but he won the Yuka Championship in 1992, and he beat John Parrott, who'd beaten him the year before. Um, and, again, and again, you know, we talk about Jimmy White and his, his popularity, but that was, in, in a snooker sense, a big deal, because it was one of those events that you kind of have to win to be regarded as a great. Yeah, uh, everybody forgets that uh, J- Jimmy won the Masters mm. back in back in back in the eighties. I mean, it must like seem like a different life now. <laughs> but he he's, he said he doesn't remember the eighties, so we'll, maybe after remind reminded me, won it? Yeah. yeah, but but we mentioned that the, the two day final that actually ended that year when Jimmy won it ninety two. That was the last one, and yeah. the, the next year ninety three, a seventeen year old by the name of Ronnie O'Sullivan ran through the field and, and won the tournament, beat Hendry in the final. It's one thing to to win a tournament, but to win the UK Championship, which is one of the most prestigious in the game, to beat Stephen Hendry, the world champion, in the final. I mean, that that's some way to arrive on the scene, isn't it? It is, but but it was the kind of thing that was almost expected mm. of uh, of Ronnie by the people uh, by the people who knew him. Um, he he was not just being. Well, he was being talked up as a future world champion, but he was showing that you know that was very much you know what it, what his standard was. And when it, when it came to the final, it wasn't a, it didn't sort of come as a complete surprise to him. Put it that way, yeah. and uh, he, he he played it as he plays all his matches as just a snooker match, not on what's expected of him. But you know, this is the shot to play now and now and now. And he beat Hendry 10-6. Hendry thought he might feel the pressure of the occasion, but he said he certainly didn't. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, many people have tried to unravel the O'Sullivan enigma, ourselves included. But um, I suppose age maybe comes into it, but the fearlessness that he seemed to have, you know, like you say, just another match, not thinking about what it meant. I mean, that's a skill in itself, because most people would do yeah. at any age. Yeah. I, I, I think only a, a very few uh, practitioners in any sport ha, ha, have that. Uh, they, they, they just feel within themselves they are the best, regardless of regardless of results. Almost, they are the best. They're going to play that way as if they are the best. Mm. Stephen Hendry was the best the year after. He made seven centuries in the final against Ken Doherty, best of nineteen final, um, and again that would be incredible now but back then well the incredible thing in some ways was not that he made them because he was a century machine it was, it was the fact that I think he made seven he was only seven five up he's he playing Ken who <laughs> kind of won the scrappier frames um, maybe that says something about Hendry's game it was all about scoring yeah but what what a scorer uh, the, the previous year he, he made five centuries and eight frames mm. which was, a, which was a, a, another record in his semi-final against John Parrott at, uh, at Preston mm. This sort of time, like you said, the tournament started to move around. It left Preston, I think, '98 when John Higgins won in Bournemouth, and Bournemouth's a great venue, but it, it would be like, well, like when the Masters left the Conference Centre or had to leave because they knocked it because they knocked it down. It slightly lost something in terms of its identity as a tournament. Yeah, you, you know, I can hardly remember anything of, of the Bournemouth UKs uh, because I associate the. The UK so much with Preston, and now we're starting to associate it with York. Mm. It's it's yeah. it's it's built up a sort of a sort of base there, but I can hardly remember anything of the, of, of the Bournemouth UKs. Yeah, well, I think it was Preston. It must have been the UK Championship, Clive, when uh, 
you fell out the commentary box, <laughs> <laughs> which is worth a story worth telling again. You're on with Dennis Taylor, and you're on a chair, not unlike the one you're on now, with wheels on it, which is kind of, if you haven't heard this story before, you can probably work out how this happened. You were leaning back, I think. Yeah, I, 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 I made some remark or other, and I, I, I leant back without, without really thinking that the chair, the chair was on wheels, and I started to go backwards. I, I, simply, I simply fell backwards out of, the, uh, out of the commentary box door, but for throwing out my left hand instinctively and grabbing Dennis's tie, which he was never able to unravel, incidentally. <laughs> but but, it, but it, did, it did save me, possibly, from quite a bit of injury. Yes, uh, although you, you inflicted a little bit of injury on Dennis, who uh, struggled to speak. But you, I think the frame was coming to an end, though, so you had to sort of wrap the frame up. <laughs> I, I, I got up at the count of three, I think, or four, <laughs> and, 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 and picked up the commentary. <laughs> Uh, let's go back to the tournament. Um, obviously, Judd Trump, uh, in more, more recent years, he made his, his breakthrough at the World Championship, but that, to, he didn't win that tournament, so he had to back it up the next season. Beat Mark Allen in a great final, which um, showcased him as a top player, but also underlined the sort of the way the game has become so attacking, because it was just a, a match of breaks, really. Yes, and I remember Trump led 8-3, and Alan got it back to eight all before Trump won ten eight. But the thing with it, having a big lead like that uh, in a, in a match which is consisting largely of breaks, it, 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 it's a big lead, but it, it can go quite quickly if you if you're having all these breaks inflicted on you. Mm, yeah. But again, I mean, we'll talk about the triple crown in a minute because I want to discuss whether that's kind of overdone as a as a thing. But it's the only one he's won so far. So you know, we talk about. We talked in a previous podcast about his sort of state of his career at the moment, at the age of 28. These are the tournaments to be regarded as great players. Like I was saying with Jimmy, you've, you've got to win one. I mean, it's not easy, obviously, but you've got to win one. Well, he's certainly, he's certainly capable, and I think he's, he's matured as a match player. And I think he will win a world title. I think he will win a, a, a Masters. But, of course, there are a lot of very good players trying mm. to stop him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one interesting thing about the UK Championship is, and this doesn't apply to the World Championship, you could argue, I mentioned Mountjoy, he, he's maybe, maybe the exception that proves the rule, not really shock winners of this tournament. You know, you look at the, the list and you think, yeah, these are players who, who probably should be winning it. Well, I think it's because it, something to do with the number of frames played. Mm. Uh, at the start, uh, every match, first round, second round, was, was best of 17. Uh, then it was cut to the early rounds, best of eleven. But that's still more than you know the best of sevens we sometimes see now, best of nine. And uh, I think a, a combination of the number of frames and the prestige of the tournament means that there are very, very few uh, really unexpected winners. In fact, I can't, I can't think of one. No, as I'm saying, like I think Mountjoy, because of the. I mean, he'd won it before because of the position in his career. It was a surprise he won it, mm. but he was still a he's still a top player of yeah. the previous years. Yeah. But it's interesting that the World Championship though is, is over a longer format, and yet we've had shot winners of that. You could argue. You've exploded my argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, the thing is, the people who won it, they were shot with. I mean, Joe Johnson and Graham Dot. I suppose the two examples. Sean Murphy maybe coming through as a qualifier, but they're still great players. It's not It's not like mm. they were complete nobodies. I mean, they've been around and they've been in finals. Mm. Um, 
Do you think, though, that... I mean, you mentioned that they cut it from Best of 17. That happened a good few years ago now. Yeah. Has that downgraded the tournament? I don't think so. I, I, I think matches are won and lost on the key frames, aren't they? And whether this, this comes at 7 all in, 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 in a best of 17 or 4 all in, in a best of 11, you, you know, it's still the, it's still... It still draws this, those special qualities out of the out of the best players. Mm. And obviously, one thing that I mean, there's a lot of tournaments now in the calendar. But one thing the UK has in its favour is its history. Like a lot of the guys who are playing now, the Selbys and so on, Murphy will have grown up watching a lot of the moments we've mentioned. So it's not like a. I think the problem in the public mind with a lot of the new events is they're new, so they don't have any. What is the China Championship to anybody? What's the yeah. international championship? Yeah. Whereas this means something. Yeah, the, the 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 Chinese events in particular seem in, in, indistinguishable, but with the UK, for example, with a forty-year history, uh, that 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 sort of impresses on on the the the, the contenders the importance of it, the, the the desirability of winning it, if you like. Mm. What about this thing? So coming up to the UK this year, it's at the Barbican, which I think is a great venue, but they take all the players there and they have two venues in a. In one, so you have the main hall, which is lovely, and then the the other arena, which has been described as all sorts of things, including a toilet, which is maybe a little overstating <laughs> it slightly, but it's kind of it's sort of apartheid, really, isn't it? It's basically saying you're not, you know, to the players who are going there, you're not significant enough to to play in the main arena. It can't be nice. No, but it is the alternative, which would be playing at least one at least one round at Preston or Barnsley or somewhere. Is that any better? It's it's a choice of imperfect alternatives. Mm, absolutely. I mentioned the Triple Crown. I mean, we talk about the UK, the Masters, the World. They're the three longest-running professional tournaments, and they've been sort of grouped together for, for quite a while. And there's, I think it's ten players have won all three. But it seems it's talked about more than ever now. And I wonder if it's because the BBC now only show three events, so they sort of say, "Well, our three <laughs> are almost you know the only ones that kind of matter." Is it over sort of done? Possibly, although you you can't argue with with the fact that those three events are the longest running in the in the snooker calendar, the world, the Masters, and and, and the UK. They are the, they are the senior events. Mm. But I just wonder if it's slightly kind of just slightly overstated. I mean, there's players who, for example, Ray Reardon, for example, never won the UK Championship, but it, that doesn't lessen his. Kind of career, does it? I don't think. No, well, he won. He won six six yeah. world, six world <laughs> championships. So, so uh, that was that was some compensation. Mm. I guess it's a goal for players. I mean, Sean Murphy was was very um, proud, obviously, to 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 join that club, and it, it kind of means something to them. Um, so, is it is it still as big as ever the UK now? There's so many tournaments. Is it just another event, or does it still stand out? No, I think it's. I think it still stands out. Uh, I, I think uh, it, it's 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 underneath the world championship clearly. But I think because of its history uh, and the exposure it gets, it, it, there's something special about it. Mm. Do you have any any specific memories of the of the Preston years? I, I seem to remember you told the story about you're watching you watching some match that was so bad that you preferred to watch the rain running down the window. <laughs> Maybe not a treasured memory, but a, but a memory nonetheless. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was the. It, I was working for BBC Radio at the time, mm. and it was the, it was the only match left in the arena, and uh, I, I will sh I will name and shame the players yeah. involved. Absolutely, Darren Morgan and Jason Ferguson, <laughs> the now, chairman. Now, now, now the chairman. Yeah. 
of WPBSA. And it was very, very slow. And I was on air every, uh, every, every half hour because there's no other sport on. Mm. Uh, and and the, 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 there was hardly any, the frames were so long and nothing, to, nothing <laughs> much to say about them. And I, I, I grew fascinated with watching raindrops run up and down the windows, <laughs> which, which was possibly just as entertaining as the, as the play. Yeah, and you could probably get ranking points now for for rain running down the window. You can get it for everything else. Uh, well, the I mean the UK, like you say, because of its history and all, and the, the role of honour, it, it is. I think it is still a, a big event, and I think a lot of people would like to see the the best of seventeens return. But that's not going to happen, is it? It is what it is now. Yeah, uh, I, I think that you you've got to you've got to cram the matches into the time available. Mm. Okay, well, that's it. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon with more. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.